to Ben. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Ooh, you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined by the player himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, well, first things first, I got to wish everybody out there in uh, Dan and Benny land a safe but very gluttonous Thanksgiving. Very much so. A couple of a uh, couple of Italian boys that love to eat. Oh, yeah. I know Thanksgiving's always uh, always a little heavy in our households. Some people eat to live, and some people uh, some people live to eat, and some people eat to live. <laughs> well. Benny, we uh, like you said, this is Thanksgiving week. We're we're gonna end the uh, end the week with a bang. Uh, why don't you tell everybody who we got on the phone with us tonight? Absolutely. So, uh, Dan, even though we're two Italian guys, we seem to do quite well charting in Ireland. At first, I thought it actually was us and our talent, but then I realized that we had uh, Irish Mickey Doyle and Davey O'Han- Irish Davy O'Hannon as our guests, like almost back to back. So, hopefully, we're not gonna be like SD Jones tonight and go to the well one too many times. But our guest had a nice stint in WWF, also Killer Kowalski's IWF, and uh, has also done some uh, independent work promoting wrestling and managing. Also a member of the very prestigious New England Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Let's give a Dan and Benny welcome to Mr. John Callahan. John, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. Oh, we, we always... Uh... Appreciate having you. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to men of your caliber, and we'll get right into it. We uh, we always ask the same opening question of every guest. Every answer is different. We love hearing them. Uh, so, first question to you: When did the wrestling bug bite you? When, like, when did you remember becoming a fan? Well, I remember it at, uh, when I was about ten years old. Uh, I was with my cousin Peter, and we were at my grandmother's house, and Capital Wrestling came on. Oh yeah. And we were watching it on TV. This is when um, the Washington TV was prominent. Yes, and we're watching this two out of three falls. And I'm like, I'm loving this. Oh, my God. This, uh, this is the greatest thing in the world. And then I discovered that UHF had all-star wrestling and championship wrestling. Oh, oh my God. I w- I, right from the beginning, I was stuck to it. John, just out of curiosity, that two out of three fall match, like that would have been what about nineteen seventy ish? Yeah, it was about nineteen seventy. Who would that uh, have been? Who, who did you see? Who do you remember seeing wrestling? Because I grew up, I, I mean, that was my first experience. Was also watching. It was, I'm a couple of years before nineteen sixty eight. Capital Wrestling with uh, from the uh, National Arena, I think, in Washington D.C. And it was Ray Morgan was the announcer, right? I think. Exactly. Yeah, Ray Morgan so was the you- announcer. And it was Mike Monroe against Manuel Soto. Oh, okay. There and that go. was Good really match. the match that brought me into it. And then I, I, I don't remember a lot of the guys that were back then, but when I kept watching it, um, the, the teams that really brought me into it was Tarzan Tyler and Crazy Luke Graham. Yeah. Which they was the first, about a year the later. first tag team champions, I think. Exactly. It was first, um, I, I believe they were called WWF World Tag Team. WWF, yeah, Tag Team Champions. And I'd see commercials with the Mongols. And I'm like, oh my God, what are these guys? Jeez. And that was when it was Guido and Beppo. Uh, mm-hmm. Guido and, yeah, Beppo, right. It was Nikolai. Yeah. And um, they, they just look scary. And like, oh my God, these guys are great. And then Chief J. Strombo came in. And, you know, you, you had that from 70 to 72, there was a lot of guys that came in. Yes, sir. That just hooked you into watching wrestling. You know, um, gentleman Jim Valiant. You just read my mind. Wow. How can this guy ever go wrong? Oh, my God. He's so good. He's such a great guy. And then he turns on Chief J. Do you Strongbox. remember that? I, I, I'll never forget that. I that was heartbroken. Moment. I know. You two, we both. <laughs> God, 
I, I, I actually got off my day. couch and I I shouted an expletive, which my omniscient <laughs> mom, for some reason, actually for once in my life, she was doing <laughs> she was vacuuming and she didn't hear it. Thank God. But yeah, uh, I, I do remember like it was yesterday. We went to school on Monday and everybody in that class was like, can you believe that? He turned on Jay Strongbow. Oh, my God. But that was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally bought the whole thing, you know. And now the fact that he was going to end up wrestling Strongbow and we wanted to see Strongbow kill him. And then he's going to wrestle Pedro Morales. Are you kidding me? He's going to try to get the belt. Come on. Right. That, that can't even happen, you know. And uh, yeah, we were hooked. We and, were and the, definitely hooked. The ironic thing is Jimmy Vallian is like one of my dearest friends in the whole world now. And I told him, I said, <laughs> I hated you. I absolutely hated you. Like I called you every name in the book in 1971. <laughs> I was a 15-year-old kid. When you turned to Chief J. You, you know, it's funny how many guests, Benny, in the last few years we've had that it's that era, you know, Jay Strongbow, Jimmy, Moondog, oh, Mr. Yeah. Fuji, uh, Freddie Blassie, you know, all, all, how it's the, of everywhere in the country that had wrestling, dozens of territories, you know, hundreds and hundreds of full-time wrestlers. It's the same 15, 20 names that seem to pop yes, up sir. over and over Absolutely again. Absolutely correct. Oh, Freddie Blassie. Uh oh. What was that last part, John? You you cut out for a second there. Did we lose John? I think so. Technical uh, difficulties. Please stand by. Did we lose connection? Oh, here oh, he is. There you are. Okay. okay. So what happened there was Freddie Blassie had blown out his knee and he had to go have surgery. And he was working in New York at the time. And um, he talked to Walter Kowalski and Walter was working in Los Angeles at the time. And Walter told him, well, we have the state athletic commission here and they'll pay for the surgery because every time you wrestle $5 of your pay goes towards this fund. So do your match in New York and then come out to Los Angeles. We'll do a match here. You go have the surgery. So he talked to Vince and Vince okayed it. They were in Hamburg and Freddie comes to the ring with Lou Albano with a doctor's note. I can't wrestle tonight. I'm injured. And he has a sling on his arm. So Pedro gets mad. He turns around. Listen to the crowd, slaps the turnbuckle, but he turned his back on Freddie. So what does he do? He takes a sling off, wraps it around Pedro's neck, and chokes the hell out of him. And him and Albano beat the heck out of him. So they bump King Curtis so that Freddie Blassie gets the match at Madison Square Garden. Then he goes to Los Angeles, works with Killer Kowalski. Walter attacks his knee, beats the heck out of it. Now he can go have the knee surgery for free. Mm. It's they, a they, business for it. They knew how to work in more <laughs> ways than one, right? Oh, it's, when you find out some of the backstories, it is so incredible. Oh, yeah. Like, how'd you get away with that? <laughs> work. Morales goes and does an interview, and he says, I won't wrestle again unless I get Freddie Blassie in the ring. So what do they do? They go to Madison Square Garden, and he gets the match. It's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we all ate it all up, believed every second of it, and we bought every ticket in sight, right? Still still every, really meet yeah. David. Oh, yeah. We could not it, wait it to is. see. Yeah. And Pedro was ready for any kind of action. Always. Uh, I'm ready for any kind of action. Any kind of action, Beans. So, John, <laughs> when did you decide tough. that you wanted to, when did you want to become a professional wrestler? When did you decide? That? Like, when was oh, the moment right from the beginning. you said, I want right to do this? And, and then who trained I you, was, and, and, and what was your in? Okay, I was 10 years old, and I was I was hooked from the beginning. I said, this is what I want to do. And my guidance counselors, my teachers, I said, you're not out of your mind. You shouldn't be doing that. 
And, um, but I stuck to it. And when I graduated high school, it was June 4th, 1978. June 4th, 1979, I started training with Killer Kowalski. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. He had a school in Salem, uh, Salem Mass at the uh, YMCA. And uh, so I, I went there and I met with Walter and, and he asked me why I didn't want to go keep going to school. I said, well, I want to be a professional wrestler. And he kept saying, why? I've loved this from when I was a kid. I just want to be a wrestler. So he put me into the school and, and maybe take some serious bumps. And I didn't give up. So he said, okay, keep going. And at that time, uh, in Walter's school, there was um, Kevin Hughes, who became Butcher Hughes. He worked in Calgary, and then he worked in Los Angeles for uh, Ripper Leone. I don't know if you ever heard of Ripper Leone. He, uh, he was opposition to Mike LaBelle in Los Angeles. Okay. And then uh, Dan Patiglio, he worked as Dan Petty. He worked also up in Calgary. And then he came back as Captain USA uh, years later. Uh, Lynn Holmes, he became Frank Savage in WWF. Okay. And then he went down to Memphis and, and for a little while with the Fullers down in Southeastern. But I don't think it lasted very long. Um, he came back as a Mongolian in IWF, but that didn't last very long. Now he sells real estate, which I'm very happy for him. Um, and that was the, the original class coming out of Kilikowski school. Wow. Um, about six or seven months later, Mike Shaw joined us. You might remember Mike Shaw as Makin Singh in Calgary. Uh, Norman yeah, the Lunatic. Norman the Lunatic, Bastion Booger, yep. And Bastion Booger. That was yep. Mike. Yeah. Uh, Richard Byrne joined us. He was a master at Kang Soo He used to spar with Superfoot Bill Wallace and Chuck Norris. And he was coming in to wrestle with us. And I was like, uh, yeah, we're going to be a little kid with this guy. <laughs> uh, no potatoes. Uh, and then Tony Ulysses. I don't know if you've ever Tony. That name is not He was the soul brother in IWF. He worked some WWF stuff. He did some Puerto Rico stuff. For Carlos Colon, he was known as the Unknown down there. Okay. Uh, which, because he was from Trinidad, he worked Ric Flair in Trinidad. They drew eighty thousand people. Mm. But now at this time, Tony had only been working for about a year, and he's nervous because this is Ric Flair, right? And Flair, normal Flair stuff. Hey, Unknown, just remember these people came to see you. Woo! And then he walked the ring. Tony said, what the hell does that just mean? <laughs> Flair put him over for 20 minutes. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, we had a lot of good talents back then and guys that went on and did a lot of good stuff. Um, you know, it, it, the guys you break in with are really your brothers for life. Yes, sir. Like, you know, Kevin died a couple of years ago and, and it is what it is, you know. I, I contacted Danny. He's down in New Mexico now. And I said, you know, brother, there's you and me. And that's it. Yeah. And I don't know how long we got, but that's it. <laughs> well, we uh, uh, wrestle wrestlingdata.com is a site we reference a lot here. Um, we you tend to use it. You know, it, it's one of the most comprehensive histories. According to that site, it mentions your uh, the first match, I should say, listed on that site from you is is November second, nineteen seventy nine, against uh, a dear friend uh, of of our podcast. Actually, the very first guest we ever had, episode one of Dan and Benny, Dominic Danucci. Um, so I was wondering, one is that is is that correct? That was your your pretty much your first match, and uh, do you remember anything about how Danucci treated you or what it was like to work with him? He told me, just listen to everything Dominic tells you and just do what he tells you. Okay. We went eight minutes and Dominic didn't say a word. <laughs> like the match was totally horrible. Oh my, I, I sucked so bad. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell to do because I kept waiting for Dominic to give me some kind oh, of. Oh, Dominic match. didn't say anything. And he wasn't doing it. He didn't say a thing. Wow. The entire hey, eight minutes. I wonder if that was a ribbon itself. Hey, John. It, I, yeah. Oh, I, I, I hate to do this. You, you cut out for a, a moment there. 
Um, what were you saying before you said that, that Dominic didn't say anything you, the, and, and, to, and to listen to him? Oh, Angelo Savoldi. He was the uh, agent at the show. Okay. And he told me, listen to Dominic, do whatever he tells you to do. So I said, okay, and you'll be fine. That's fine. And Dominic said nothing for eight <laughs> minutes. <laughs> That's when I realized uh, I got back to the school and Walter is yelling at me. You did horrible out there. Well, they told me to listen to Dominic and he didn't say anything. Well, don't listen to them. Just go out. But you know how to do. Okay. <laughs> it, it took a whole different turn at that point. That's fine. Uh, and then um, we did TV in December of 79. Um, uh, it was our first TV. I went with Dan Petty and um, Kevin Hughes out to Allentown. And I got to work with, um, I teamed with Johnny Rods oh, against nice. Tito Santana and Ivan Putski. They were the tag champions. Champs, the right. And they kept me out of the ring the inside, pretty much till the finish. Mm. Tony Altamore was the referee, and he would tell me different things to do. So I'd do them and come back. And then, you know, I come in, Ivan grabs a headlock. It's a simple thing. He throws you off the ropes, gives you a whack in the belly. You bend down, Tito jumps over the top rope, sunset flip, it's the finish. Well, it was simple enough. The next night we go to Hamburg, I work with Thomas. Says, okay, I got to make a bigger splash than this because that was nothing. They didn't even let me in the ring. And so Tony had me in an armbar. I said, hold on, don't let go. And I went to, like, I was going to throw him. And he just back on me. It was beautiful. Because it looked like I couldn't pull the strong guy over the top of me. And when I got back to the dressing room, Lou Albano came to me and said, you did some really good stuff out there, kid. Just keep hitting the, the iron. And just keep building yourself up. And I think you're going to be good. And that, to me, was like, there was a seal right there. You know, I'm going to get somewhere in this goddamn business wow. because yeah. I might be losing all the time, but at least I'm going to get somewhere. Gotcha. John, I, I actually watched several of your matches uh, in preparation for this interview. And I, I have to say that even in 2023, like almost 40 uh, something years later, I hear the voice of the great Joe McHugh and it still makes me smile. And uh, in the matches I watched, you, you were actually billed from Baltimore, Maryland. And why there instead of your, uh, you know, New England origins? Well, when I first started, I, I got billed from my hometown, Milford, Massachusetts. But then when we, um, when IWF started, we had a TV in Boston called Bedlam from Boston. And of course, everybody was from Boston. So they decided that we need to build some guys from other places. So they built me from Baltimore. Oh, okay. And when the ring announcer went to the ring, he called the Baltimore Terra. And so I said, Oh, I kind of like that Baltimore Terra being from Baltimore. And so when I went back to TV in New York, I told Joe McHugh, uh, can you build me from Baltimore? He's oh, did you move? Well, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I never moved, but it kind of gives you that mystique because when you look at guys in wrestling, they're not any of the towns that they say they're from. So, you know, did it really make a difference? You know, is Bruno really from a Brutier? Well, he was a kid, yeah. Close. But not now, you know. Davey right? O'Hannon right? definitely it's, was not from Kansas City. Right. And and that's, you know, guys from Windsor, Ontario, but they're really from Detroit, you know? So you just throw it out there because it throws them off. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, when we first met, you were billed as from Ocala. Right. We know. Uh, we know. A uh, hundred miles off and not too bad. A <laughs> hundred miles is better than what I had. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wonder how uh, I wonder how close Parts Unknown is to Chicago. Yeah. Put that in Google Maps. <laughs> well, you know, you talk about you know things you did your your first matches, first updates. But so speaking of firsts, 
uh, you and Frankie Williams were in a tag team match and you faced uh, D. David Schultz and Roddy Piper in what was Roddy Piper's WWF debut as a wrestler. Uh, do you have any, uh, one, it's kind of a two part here. One, do you have the, the memories of that that you could share? And two, Piper, I mean, you had to have known as soon as you stepped in the ring with him, this guy's got everything, right? Uh-oh. Went out. He said, "Okay, you start the match. You you're gonna keep don't get the tag to Frankie. He's gonna stay in the corner. It's okay." And, and so I'd come in and I'd, I'd work with Roddy, and Roddy is so light. Oh my God, you can't even feel the punches. And I said, "Roddy, can you hit me so I held a cell?" And uh, and he's light, but then David Schultz came in and. The whole world turned around. He's not light. <laughs> it was, no, he was not light. He was stiff as hell. It got to a point where halfway through the match, Roddy, don't tag him in. He's too goddamn stiff. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, when we went to the finish, Roddy took me in the sleeper, took me down, thanked me for doing it, and, and we went home. And, you know, at the time, you don't think about the significance of that, you know, that that was Roddy's first real big push in, in – for that time frame. Right. Because he did do one match in 79, I think it was. He did do a one-time TV to build up for a Madison Square Garden show. Um, I forget who he wrestled at the time. But then for the push that he got and then went on to become what he became, um, it was me and Frankie that did it, yeah. Well, I, I honestly think you should have taken Frankie's paycheck for that match because I don't think he even got in the match. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't <laughs> get in there the entire time. It was me the whole time. Yeah. No wonder Piper beat him up on uh, when he went on Piper's pit. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie's a good guy. He, he, although one time, and I'll just throw this out, we were working for a local promoter. And the promoter liked me and really didn't like Frankie. And he wanted to put me over. And Frankie complained. Tony Rod pulled him aside and said, this is what the promoter wants. Just shut up and go out and do it. <laughs> and this was probably about 1980 when that happened. And, uh, and I went to three finishes and Frankie kept lifting his shoulder up. Finally had to cradle him and hold him to the mat. Just stay down. Let the referee count the pin. So we we had uh, we had Steve Kern on the show recently, and he talked about the, that's the reason he loved being a tag team wrestler. Same paycheck, half the work. You there, there, uh, John? Yep. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah, yes, I can sir. hear you. So um, you wrestled. Okay. I mean, literally a who's who of great WWF stars, just to name a couple or a few. You get Tony Atlas, Killer Khan, Sl Sergeant Slaughter, Hulk Hogan, uh, Ivan Koloff, Tito Santana, Morocco, Orndorff, and the Iron Sheik. And now the match with Morocco, according to uh, WrestlingData.com, was actually for the uh, the IC Championship. And then uh, you wrestled Sheik. I think it might have been his first match. After he won the uh, the WWF championship from Bob Backlund. Now, of, of all those matches, do you have a favorite? And do you have any interesting stories about any of these matches? Um, well, I pick a favorite out of that. Ivan Koloff would have been the okay. favorite. Um, but when you were a jobber in WWF, very seldom did you get a lot of opposition or, or offense in the match. You um, you went out, you put the guy over. That was all your job was. And with Ivan Koloff, he let me put him in an abdominal stretch, which is a submission move. Yeah. On TV. And so I did it. And the crowd was popping huge. And then we went right to the finish, which was fine. And um, you know, I couldn't believe that he actually let me do that and uh, on TV. Um, one guy that back then, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, Iron Mike Sharp was another guy who, um, told me to throw him in the corner. Oh no, he threw me in the corner and he told me to move. And then he came charging in and took a huge bump across the ring. So I did a knee drop and started throwing punches and just kept punching and punching. 
and he's selling the hell out of it. And then Dick Riley comes over, it's okay, home. And so I grab him, I go to throw him in the ropes, he reverses it, twists that little um, leather thing he had on his arm, and hits me with the gear. And uh, we go home. And it got cut off the East Coast tapes. Ah. That only appeared on the West Coast tapes. I went to Los Angeles. I was so disappointed when I watched the TV that it should have been on. And it was a commercial for Boston Garden or whatever it was in Boston. Like, you got to be kidding me. They cut the entire match off the tape because I was beating the snot out of them. Like, why? Uh, Mike was a great guy, though. Um, Don Morocco, that one. Oh, God, I don't even remember if it, they ever. I guess it was announced that way, right? Um, it, it, shows, IC, it shows that it was an IC match. title match, according to uh, WrestlingData.com. Okay, and and uh, and with Don, it was oh my God, he is like Roddy. You don't feel a punch. He looks like he's killing you the entire time. Oh yeah, and not a thing. And like Don, Jesus, at least can you touch me? God, I don't know what the hell to sell. And um, he was fantastic. The, the I think out of that whole group, though, besides the slaughter match I had. Where Slaughter became a babyface, where the Iron Sheet blocked the aisle, and Slaughter was coming uh, coming down to the ring, and to wrestle me, and Sheik told him, "Get out of my way, or I'll do to you what we did to your buddies in Beirut." Oh jeez! And Slaughter gets into the ring, and he's mad as hell, throws the stuff down, and I took the brunt of that beating. It was only I don't know less than a minute. And we went home with the Cobra Clutch. Or the Cobra, what was it called? The Camel Clutch. Wasn't Cobra Camel clutch. clutch. Camel Clutch. No, that's that's the Sheik, right? Yeah. Yeah, isn't Camel that who clutch. you were just talking about? Col- no, it was Slaughter. Slaughter oh, was the Cobra oh, yeah, Clutch, yes. yeah. I wrestled Slaughter. He became babyface that night. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I misunderstood what you were saying. Yeah, Slaughter's was the, was the right. Cobra Clutch. Yeah, with the Sheik, it was the Camel Clutch. He'd give you Correct. the two flags. Then he'd sit on your back, and I could arch my back he so he could humble. pull me up, and and I would grab his legs and pull myself backwards so that I could, it looked like he's trying to break my back, but I could bend that way anyway, so it didn't matter. Right. And um, you know, if he really wanted to hurt me, all he had to do is pull back just a little bit more, and it was right. snapping too, you know. But he always kept it loose all yeah. the time. You know, it's it's funny. I was actually at a uh, a convention couple months ago sergeant slaughter was one of the guests and um i did the full i dressed up in the full uh iraqi from his 91 heel turn <laughs> and yeah. other than he loved it like we we got some good pictures together but they, they even asked her like you know picture a picture autograph comment whatever and they're like hey for another what was it 20 bucks or whatever and he's like he'll he'll put you in the cobra clutch and i was like oh cool photo Cool photo op, right? No, he's like, okay, so you put your arm here and ready, one, two, uh, like you can feel the pressure. Like that's that's a legit. <laughs> that's all. All punchlines aside, that is a legit hold. If he wants to, wants to let you know who's still in charge. Oh, there's a lot of wrestling holds that if they really applied it the way it should be applied, you'd go down in a second. Sure. You know, like the Indian Deathlock. If somebody really applied that to you. You're not getting out of it. You're gonna if you, you know, even the stick lock. I mean, apply it properly. But if you did it the right way, guy's knee's gonna pop in two. (laughs) The opposite way. Yeah. Yeah. What's the? uh, Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, when you you have like the the cobra clutch, and, and obviously you felt it. You can feel that pressure, and, and you know you just go down. Obviously, he doesn't pull it on you fully, but if he did, it would only be a matter of seconds. Yeah. You'd be on the mat. Well, that's like the uh, seeing seeing the uh, Baron Rashke put somebody in the claw, and it's like, oh, you know that that's you talk about a movie you could do easily until you you watch videos of him when he was younger crushing bricks with his bare hand, and it's like, oh, that. Legitimately crack a skull if you squeeze too sure. hard. <laughs> well, yeah, because if you have a big enough hand, like Fritz von Erich, he had a huge hand. Right. right? So he puts the iron claw on your head, 
He's squeezing your temples. <laughs> he's not so, just squeezing your forehead. Yeah, his, he's got the sides. You squeeze some of his temples. Take a gold. That could be nice. That's it. <laughs> yeah, some, I remember some, the red X on the TV set when when uh, the Baron got the claw hold. <laughs> oh, the Baron, yeah. Didn't they do that uh, for Mulligan too? Yes, sir. Yeah, they, they the sure did. X, right. Right. The red so X. You, so you had to, you had to go to the arena to see that live. Cause, right. You know, what's behind the X? There's no red X yeah. at the arena. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No barriers. Well, I mean, we we we're going through your time in the WWF and, and you, you some of the legends you work with. I was hoping you could talk a bit about your time in the IWF. I mean, several guests we've had on the show: Ron Shaw, Davey O'Hannon. Uh, you know, obviously the late Mike Jones uh, all worked there. Um, kind of talk a little bit about your time in the IWF. Who'd you work with? Did you have any good uh, uh, stories from your time there working? Oh, absolutely. I is where I started because that originally was started by Killer Kowalski back in 79. And um, so when we were working, we were International Wrestling Federation. And in 1980. I believe it's 81. Uh, Walter had an argument with Angel Savoldi in Boston Garden. And Walter decided he was going to start his own promotion. And he was going to get TV. And he's going to run opposition to Vince McMahon. So he did in Boston. He got um, Channel 25, which was the at that time the Christian Broadcasting Network, to give us uh, studio time in their studio and start a show called Bedlam from Boston. And that was the start, really the big push for IWF, but it was mostly Kowalski trainees in the Boston show. We also had Johnny Valiant. We had Dominic DiNucci. Uh, we had, uh, do you remember Tim Reed? He became Diamond Timothy Flowers up mm-hmm. in Canada. He was there. Bull Curry. Um, yeah, Bruno, um, yeah David Johnny too. David San mm-hmm. Martino. David, David San Martino came in for us. Uh, we had, uh, oh, can you hear me okay now? Yeah. Yes, sir. Back. Okay. So we were the number two show in our time slot on Boston TV. Um, there was a show called Community Auditions, which was number one, and nobody's ever going to beat it uh, because it was just local talent that was showcased on Sunday mornings. And But we were the number two, which we thought was the greatest thing in the world. Um IWF ran for a few years, didn't really draw as well as we should have with the amount of talent we had. Um, so guys kind of left as it was going along. Um, but it, it, I thought it was one of the best times that I ever had in wrestling because we got to do what we wanted to do. We got to try out new things. We got to try out new gimmicks. And there wasn't any limitations. Talent Town, too. Which international wrestling, which I think you can pull up on YouTube. Yes. Um, and that was that. John, you still with us? Hello? Yeah, there you there are. Is. Uh, am I there? Yes, sir. Right, there you are. Okay. Wow. Oh, there's a storm coming in, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, um, I left in uh, 83. Uh, to go back to WWF, which I didn't think I would ever do. Uh, but what I did was, if you look at my early tapes in WWF, I was very heavy. I lost like 80 pounds. Oh, wow. Went back to New York to TV tapings. And uh, I I was friends with Tony Altamori. So I picked him up Stanford at his house Stomp. and brought him to the tapings. Exactly. And he went to Vince McMahon Sr. I said, hey, Vince, remember this kid? And Vince was looking at me, and he's, yeah, he looked familiar. He, he lost 80 pounds just so he can come back in and work for you. And Vince was impressed as hell with that. Nice. And that's where I got the, the run in 83 and 84. Nice. So, I John, so. um, how did you, the, the Sergeant Muldoon gimmick, where did that originate? When I was, um, Eighty-four, I realized that I wasn't going to get anywhere in WWF. I got a job, and that was it. And of course, they paid more than everybody else, so I really didn't care. But I figured I have to go somewhere else. 
that I had to come up with a gimmick. So I was working a show in Maine, and I came up with this idea for a gimmick as an Irish freedom fighter named Sergeant Muldoon, built from Belfast, Northern Ireland. And um, Walter put me on and said, this could work. So I contacted Gino Brito in Montreal and asked him if I could come in. I had a new idea for a gimmick. And Gino said, yeah, come on up. We'll see what we can do with it. Of course, they didn't do anything with it. They just had me job out on TV. But I started the gimmick there as this freedom fighter. I come to the ring with an Irish flag, IRA printed on it. So I feel like I got to make an impact while I'm up here. And I'm wrestling Delay in the first match. And I'm there. I had already broken the pole so that I held my hand over the break. And when Dennis turned around and did the sign of the cross, I came right back behind him and nailed him with the pole. Pole broke because it's already broken. And then wrapped the flag around his throat and started beating the crap out of him. It was instant heat. And even though I lost every match, every time I went to the ring, I had heat. Well, at that point, Montreal started running in the States. They were running in Maine and they were running in Massachusetts. So I went to a show at the Springfield Civic Center. It was uh, Northeast Wrestling. And I worked Armand Rougeau, because I put him over. Uh, but the promoter liked the gimmick. He thought, hell, this could be something that we could really build on. In a matter of, I think it was two months, maybe three, the Montreal office pulled out. And now the promoter is left with, like, who am I going to build as my stars? But he had Bob Backlund. So Bob asked me if I knew some other guys local that would want to work. So I went to IWF and grabbed about eight guys and said, hey, I think we got a thing here. Why don't you all guys come out? And the Sergeant Muldoon gimmick was put right on top right away, which I never expected. And to tell you the truth, when the first time I won a match, I didn't know how to raise my hand in the ring. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd never done that before. <laughs> and um, so they gave me my first push anyway. But the, what that was happening, though, I was getting too much heat in the matches. In Boston, in Taunton, um, a couple other towns, I was fighting with the crowd. Take a swing at me, I'd swing right back. Uh, in Boston, I went to turn on my tag partner, and I lifted the ringside bell. I went to hit him from behind, and somebody grabbed the bell. And I'm looking in the ring, and the O'Reilly brothers are in the ring, and the guy I'm going to hit is in front of me. The ref's not there. Who the heck's grabbing the bell? some drunk guy behind me. So I just turned around and started whacking this guy. <laughs> Took him right into the fifth row. Still there? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, yeah, so the, the promoter in, in Northeast asked me if I would change my gimmick. And so I didn't know what the heck to do. So I was watching a Chuck Norris movie one night and decided I'd do a karate gimmick. I'd never took a martial arts lesson in my life. But I watched Chuck Norris and I watched Professor Tanaka and I just mixed it and came up with using my name with a karate gimmick and it got over. Who knew? Works hey, so then I, um, well, almost. I was going to say, yeah. Right. It, well, yeah. It, well, it wasn't like Billy. It was like Billy Graham, but not like Billy Graham. Yeah. <laughs> I actually worked with Richard Byrne who's a master of tanks who do, and he didn't kick my ass. So I'm really happy about that. There you go. <laughs> um, then I went to work for Trans World, who was uh, Asa from the Wild Samoans. Okay. And he wanted me to use Sergeant Muldoon, so I said, okay. So I, I did the Irish Freedom Fighter for a little while, and then I, um, I, I really wanted to do it as a New York City cop. Yet, a lot of guys would tell me, oh, you can't impersonate a cop. As well, you're not really impersonating a cop if all you're doing is wearing a, a patch on your arm. As long as you don't have a badge, where are you impersonating a cop? So the whole gimmick changed, and I became a New York City cop as Sergeant Muldoon. Oh, okay. What I did realize is that Marvel Comics has a character who's a New York City cop. 
and his name is Sergeant Muldoon. <laughs> I had no idea that that actually existed when I came up with it. <laughs> That's funny. It's like the uh, uh, Mar- Marvel get got a percentage of royalties because they had an obscure character named the Karate Kid when that movie came out in the 80s. Right? It's like, I should sue Marvel. And then I saw when they started that gimmick, and, oh, yeah, I should keep my mouth shut. I hope they don't <laughs> yeah, sue really. me. Yeah, <laughs> especially today, I think, with the, with the Disney lawyers behind them, you might as well just let Marvel take this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're going through, we're talking about your career. <clears throat> you retired from active wrestling at a relatively young age. Where, where did you find yourself after you, you finished wrestling? Like, talk a little bit about your post-wrestling career. Well, in the uh, about the late 80s, mid-90s, I was just doing some independent stuff, and I needed a full-time job because the wrestling just wasn't doing it. So I became a circulation manager at a couple local newspapers. And then um, about mid-90s, I was uh, at a truck stop and I saw this guy talking at the counter, um, ordering some burgers and stuff. And like, this guy drives a tractor trailer. Guy, it sounds like the dumbest person in the world. It can't be that difficult. So I went to truck driving school and became a truck driver. And then um, I got into the company that I work for now. Uh, they hired me right away. I drove for them for about five years and the sales manager came to me and he said, we want you to come into sales. We don't want you driving a truck anymore. Okay. I said, I don't know if I really want to come off the road because nobody bothers me. I just go do my thing. Customers like me. Said, That's why we want you in sales. The customers like you. And all right, I'll try it. And when I first pulled into that place, I said, I'm not going to make it more than two weeks here. I've been there 28 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's... And yeah, and the money's real good. And we're probably the only salaried salespeople in the country. We get a salary every week, same money, no matter what you sell, no matter what you don't sell. So when we're slow, it doesn't matter. We still get our money. When we're really busy, like right now, we're in Christmas season, it's okay. We just work a little bit harder because we know in three weeks we're going to be sitting at home doing nothing and still getting our money. Nice. So it's a good deal for us. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's a greenhouse company. We I sell um, annuals, perennials. And like right now we're selling Christmas greens and poinsettias to garden centers. And But we also have a lot of mass merchants like uh, supermarkets. Home Depot, um, BJ's Wholesale Club, Ocean State Job Lot out here um, that we, we sell a lot of stuff through, you know, and we've built it since the time I started there. It's quadrupled in size. On oh, the wow. Farm. That's impressive. Yeah. And we're probably one of the most diverse companies, at least in Massachusetts, if not all of New England, where we're 85% immigrant labor. Wow. And yeah. And most of the people, we try to teach them how to speak English because if they can speak English, they can advance a lot faster. And there's all kinds of opportunities for them to move up in the company. And they make a decent paycheck every week. Nice. And that, you know, you can't be more proud than that, that you're giving these people a total opportunity, you know, that if they just worked like a factory somewhere, they would never get that. Sure. John, um, talk about your induction because you're a member of the prestige, very prestigious New England uh, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. What year was that? And uh, you've been involved with it since then. Yeah, it actually started before I got inducted. Uh, I talked to Joe Bruin, and I was going to induct Kevin Hughes into the Hall of Fame. So I showed up, but Kevin didn't. So since he didn't, I took his time. And I stood up there for about 20 minutes and just spewed off a bunch of stuff and, and kept the audience going. So Joe told me that the next year I would get inducted, 2011. Uh, so, okay, that was fine. 
Um, and when I get up there, I figured if at any point when I'm getting inducted, if I don't hear the crowd laughing and reacting to what I'm saying, I'll just end it. For 25 minutes, I stood up there and had that crowd roaring in laughter about stupid stories <laughs> from the road and um, picking on people in the crowd. And it, it just worked. And so then um, once I was inducted, Joe asked me to do a show for him. I thought it was an autograph show. And then I saw the poster for it, and he had me build against Danny Davis in the main event. Joe, um, I had my hip replaced. I don't know if I can do this. He said, well, you're working Danny. It can't be that difficult. Oh, okay, I'll do it. But then Danny didn't show up, so I had to do a tag match instead. And it's one of those things like, you know, like if you're a cocaine addict, right? And you stop. Then for whatever reason, someone gives you some cocaine or whatever drug it is, and you get back to it, that's wrestling. As soon as I did that one match and we got a reaction, I was hooked again. It, it's exactly like a, an addiction. And I um, then hooked up with Chris Blackheart and Showcase Pro Wrestling. And it just, it's been going ever since. Very nice. Well, you know, as we, as we get ready to wrap up, um, I, I was kind of hoping, I mean, Benny talked about it. Your social media page, your Facebook page, uh, there's a picture of you and former uh, champ DC Drake, former multiple time uh, NWA tag champion Knuckles Nelson. Both of them have been guests before. Uh, I hope maybe you give them a shout out. I mean, they're both friends of the show. Oh, both unbelievably great guys. Yes, sir. Uh, DC, I met in the 80s. Uh, we teamed up against the Wild Samoans, and then DC was running some shows. And he'd book me on the shows, and all of a sudden I'm the main event, working Nikolai Volkov, and which I'd be forever grateful for those. Uh, and Brendan, um, when he first started, I saw some talent in him. I was booking for um, New England Pro Wrestling, and we had him in his Tully McShane, and I wanted him to be our first champion. And of course, at the time, he was young, and he had his own ideas of how the business should go. And so we clashed a little bit. He left. He came back. And when I saw him now 20 years later, he apologized for what he had done 20 years earlier. And I said, you know, there's no apology needed, Brendan. I understand the entire situation because I was you at the exact same time. Because I thought my life should have gone better than what it was going. And it should have been faster getting into the business but it never is. And we've hit it off so much. He showed up at a, a showcase pro wrestling show and I saw him in the crowd when I went to the ring to do the ring announcing. And I gave him a shout out almost immediately that he had a book from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat and, Very good him over and, and then had him come to the ring so he could talk about his book and get the book over. I just, uh, Brendan's a great guy. Yes, sir. No argument. He really here. is. Yeah. Well, Benny, like I said, we're getting ready to wrap up. Uh, last question to John's to you. What are you thinking? John, so where can our our listeners find you on, on social media? And what are your future plans as far as wrestling and life? Well, right now, uh, I'm only on Facebook. Uh, so you can find me under my real name, John Callahan. Uh, I, I did one uh, about a month ago as a ring announcer for Powerhouse Wrestling. It was right here within like a mile from my house. Um, I, I did the ring announcing for them. But uh, as far as like showcase and, and training kids or anything else, I put everything on hold because my wife does have Alzheimer's and I just, I need to be home. I, I can't be out doing shows and that stuff. Um, things will change, I'm sure, you know, within the year, maybe year and a half. And I'll get back to it. I know the kids who I was training with all want me back there because of the way I train, I don't force anything on anybody. I train in an opposite direction where I give you the finish and then I teach you how to get to the finish. 
Uh, I teach you routines, like you grab a headlock, tackle, grab the headlock, the next thing, which you you never see in today's. Um, it's just my style of training, and um, and they like it. But right now they're training with Kenny Doan. You know Kenny from um, the Spirit, Spirit Squad. Squad. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, yeah, he's training in, uh, with the kids in Showcase. So I know they're in good hands. Kenny's a good guy. You know. Um, so they, they, they're doing really well down there. Well, John, um, as we, like I said, we wrap up final questions were great. Um, do you have any, any final thoughts? And, uh, you were talking about training, maybe as kind of parting words, what advice would you give to someone who wants to become a wrestler today? If you're going to be a wrestler today, you got to have some tough skin. You're going to face a lot of opposition. You're going to face guys criticizing every little thing you do. It wasn't like when, when I made a mistake, they say, okay, just don't do it again. Now they, they hold it against you. you. You really have to be athletic. You have to be uh, able to do a lot of things that I never would have been able to do. Uh, best advice would be to just grind it out if you really want it. If you really want to be in this business, if you really want to make it somewhere, don't let all the criticisms get to you because there's so much jealousy out there. There's so many people that will put you down and try to beat you up. It's just not worth it. It's nose to the grindstone. And if I can give a shout out to a couple of guys. Go for uh, it. One was Anthony, Anthony Green. I saw this kid when he was 17 years old. And I would never think that this kid would ever get anywhere. He is now one of the best wrestlers in New England if not the whole country. He was down in uh, NXT for a little while, and he's traveled around the world. This kid is unbelievable. And he just, he did the exact thing. He didn't let the criticisms get to him, and he built himself up, and now he's got a nice career. Uh, Another one is Channing Thomas. This kid is just unbelievable. When he first started out, he had some college gimmick where he was drinking beer out of a um, tube or some damn thing <laughs> and now he's got like this whole he's almost like a 70s porn star thing going oh, but he's good he's so good like oh my god why is this kid not getting signed somewhere my god it's just entertaining as hell to watch his matches you know uh we got a few kids in the showcase uh christopher spratt who you look at this kid and you wouldn't think that he could work the way he works but man, he draws heat. He is unbelievable. Uh, another one is Nicole Talia, uh, which this is a cheap shot kind of shout out because she's actually my niece. <laughs> but she is uh, 50% Abenaki Indian, and she is over in Canada. She's been traveling all over the country. She went to Puerto Rico. Uh, she's unbelievable. This kid is doing fantastic. I said, you know, you're really going to show up your uncle. You know that, right? You're, in, you're getting booked everywhere. Um, you're a really good kid. Um, and I just wish the best for everybody who tries because there's nothing better than going after your dream and actually living that dream. Amen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. John, could not have better parting words. Thank you so much for your time tonight. So for the legend himself, John Callahan, for the player himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Happy Thanksgiving.